This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Healthy boundaries are great, but unfortunately they don't set themselves. Boundaries take a lot of intention, time, and support, and that's where a therapist comes in to help you decide what's most important and build your life around it. Connect with a therapist and find your boundaries at betterhelp.com super. Hey, brother. Boy, oh boy, you guys. Over the past decade, we have created literally hundreds of different Harry Potter theories. And some of them we're actually quite proud of, like the idea that Hagrid has actually quietly grown very wealthy through his simple lifestyle, his long tenure at Hogwarts, and just his vast collection of magical beast tradables. I'd say 10 out of 10 galleons per unicorn hair. I'm pretty sure we nailed that one. <laughs> or the fact that it was almost certainly Snape who actually killed Hedwig during the Battle of the Seven Potters because he was afraid it would give away the real Harry. It's so perfectly Snape, you know, like so clever, but at the same time, I'll never forgive you. No, the point is though, there are some theories that we've come up with that I'm actually quite proud of, that I feel like hold up to the test of time. But in the meantime, we have certainly been exposed to and crafted some of our own theories that maybe just don't hold up as well. Back in the day, I genuinely can't tell you the number of times that I would see a post that just said, the boa constrictor that Harry freed from the zoo went on to be Voldemort snake Nagini. No, it did not. That was a male boa constrictor bred in captivity and was leaving destined for Brazil. And people weren't even calling this a theory. They were literally saying, did you know? As if this was just simply a fact to be known. <sighs> Misinformation, am I right? I'm glad the internet finally has gotten past that hurdle. Wait. But either way, guys, today we are going to break down or fill you in on some of the internet's most popular but poorly supported Harry Potter fan theories, including some of our own. Let's do it. Guys, before we dive on into today's video, I just wanna say stick around to the end of the video where we're announcing a brand new Super Carlin Brothers event, a step competition called Miles Managed. Okay, so before we dive on in, one thing I wanna make absolutely crystal clear is the fact that I don't want to be throwing shade at any authors of any of these theories or anything like that. Like I think fan theories help us think critically about the fandoms that we all love and give us a way to share and enjoy those ideas together. This is all just simply meant to be a lighthearted deconstruction of some of the most common fan theories that we've heard throughout the years. Which is why we will be starting by putting the targets right on our own chest with theory number five, Dumbledore and his Horcrux. Now, if you've been a longtime fan of the channel, you may be aware of the fact that this particular theory helped us gain some steam during our early days. The concept did come together before the Fantastic Beasts series had ever even been announced, and at the time, I think it provided a reasonably good explanation for certain things that we wouldn't know about Dumbledore yet. But at the time, one of the big things that we knew about Dumbledore and that he specifically specifically struggled with was the loss of his younger sister, Ariana, and also the unique but otherwise unexplained relationship that he had with his phoenix, Fox. And I say unique, but not entirely, because the situation between Dumbledore and Fox seemed to somewhat mirror the relationship between Voldemort and his snake, Nagini, who, by the way, is not the boa constrictor that Harry freed from the zoo, but is in fact a horcrux that Voldemort does have unique control over. On that note of not being the boa constrictor, by the way, she did actually used to be a woman, a theory that we did totally nail right here on this channel, so. Cell five, way to go us. Anyway, the point is though that Dumbledore goes to extraordinary lengths to try to break down and decipher the fact that not only did Voldemort have Horcruxes, but how many and what they were. But otherwise in like two sentences, he just correctly guesses that Nagini 
is one. How was he able to do this? Well, we just figured that he was able to simply recognize that the relationship between Voldemort and Nagini was the same as his relationship with Fox. It also seemed to explain how Dumbledore was able to send Fox to help Harry in the Chamber of Secrets simply by Harry being loyal to him. It also seemed to help explain why it needed to be Fox in particular that had donated the two feathers that went on to create the twin cores between Voldemort and Harry, which is otherwise, and even still to this day, just a fun fact that happens to be true. And the idea here was that Dumbledore doesn't actually know, even in death, who actually killed Ariana, but blames himself entirely anyway. Which was our explanation as to how Dumbledore actually ended up ripping his soul. And simply Dumbledore being as clever as he is sought a magical solution to take this piece of pain from himself and inject it into something else. And what you ended up with was Fox, who incidentally is a great candidate to be a container for Dumbledore's soul because Fox is a phoenix and therefore cannot die. And it doesn't super matter anyway because the author herself actually specifically shot this one down, which made the theory even more infamous, if you will. But also it feels like the entire function of the Fantastic Beast series was pretty much to answer all of the questions that we just laid out. So you're welcome for Fantastic Beasts. I think. If anybody knows where we can get our royalty checks for those, that would be great. Anyway though, in keeping with our Dumbledore theme, let's move on to theory number four. Dumbledore is a time traveling Ron. Wicked. Oh my goodness, you guys. This is an old one, but a good one. And probably the number one most requested theory for this channel that we've never actually made before. But the reason that we've never made a video about it before is because we don't feel like there's really all that much to it. And to be fair, it's in part due to the fact that once again, we've just simply received more information since this idea was originally created, which was in between the releases of Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows. But the theory goes exactly as the title of it might suggest that Dumbledore is quite literally just an aged up version of Ron who has traveled back in time and that's how he has so much knowledge about the wizarding world and Harry specifically. Like have you ever wondered how Dumbledore has such alarmingly accurate guesses? Harry's best friend. I'm Ron by the way. From Weasley. And maybe out of the gate you're like us and feel like well it sounds a little bit far-fetched like Ron goes on to be the most powerful and respected wizard of the age. I mean, no offense to Ron or anything, but like out of the three of them, I feel like Hermione was much better slated for this accolade. But I suppose it's worth mentioning that there's not nothing to go on either. For example, their physical descriptions are actually fairly similar if you ignore the fact that one is over 100 years old and the other is a teenager. They do both have a large nose and are both notably described as being tall and gangly. And it's also eventually revealed in a flashback that while the Dumbledore as Harry knows him has white silvery hair, in his earlier years, it was much more similar to Ron's shade of Auburn. Beyond that though, when Scrimgeour is giving the Golden Trio the contents of Dumbledore's will and he gives Ron the Deluminate, Hermione claims that no, Ron and Dumbledore were super close and Harry thinks this is stretching it a little bit. This was stretching the truth to breaking point. As far as Harry knew, Ron and Dumbledore had never been alone together and direct contact between them had been negligible. Given how much time Harry spends with Dumbledore and how much allowance Dumbledore gives Harry to tell that information to Ron and Hermione, makes it seem like he would have spent 
more time with them directly as well. But some people explain this away by suggesting that the reason that Dumbledore intentionally never spent time around Ron in particular was so that Ron never picked up on the fact that he was spending time around a future version of himself and inadvertently creates some version of a paradox. So then the idea there is that the reason that he gives Ron the Deluminator isn't so much that he's giving it to someone else, it's just simply returning it to himself to eventually give back to himself someday. Right? See what I mean about paradoxes? But in order for this theory to really hold any weight, it would almost require for Albus Dumbledore to have never had a childhood of his own because his childhood would be Ron's childhood. So essentially what would be required is that Dumbledore would just pop into existence at some point in time after Ron had lived his entire life and then just age back through it again. But within the first couple of chapters of Deathly Hallows, we start getting a glimpse into Dumbledore's childhood, and it almost immediately disproves the theory. As does the fact that time turners are only capable of traveling back in time up to five hours, and Ron himself is directly there and responsible for the destruction of the time turners at the Department of Mysteries. So yeah, unfortunately, Ron Dumbledore not a thing. But guys, we need to take a quick pause right here to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Honey, the easy way to save when you're shopping on your iPhone or computer. I love a deal, you love a deal. If we are participating in some kind of fun, whimsical game show where we could either have a deal or no deal, we would all select a deal, am I right? Well, it honestly probably depends on how many briefcases are left, but I digress. The point I'm trying to make though is that Honey is like a cheat code inside of that game, especially if that game is the game of life. And the objective of the game of life is of course to score a great discount code. It's probably the most dramatic way I've ever entered an ad read before. But that's because I do genuinely get excited about Honey. It has worked on so many different occasions for me. Here's how it works. If you're shopping online for anything and you get to that checkout screen with the little coupon code box, you will automatically scour the entire internet for the best coupon code and automatically apply it. And I know that we talk about Honey a lot here on this show, but I don't ever feel like we properly emphasize this next point. It is free, y'all. There are genuinely no asterisks or catches. Just simply add it to your browser and start saving. It's that easy. Here's a great example that I've had just here recently. I was shopping around for a small inflatable swimming pool for my daughter for the summer so she can splash around in on a hot day. I found one that was absolutely perfect for our spot outside, but it was more expensive than I expected. But when I got to check out, Honey came in and it saved me 25%. And that makes all the difference. And I could have made that purchase anywhere too, not just on my computer at home, but also on my iPhone. Simply activate the app inside of Safari and boom, you're saving on the go. So seriously, get PayPal's Honey for free by heading over to joinhoney.com slash supercarlin. Again, that's joinhoney.com slash supercarlin. One last time for safety, joinhoney.com slash supercarlin. Link is in the description down below. But that will bring us to theory number three, Godric Gryffindor is the giant squid. This theory in particular is fairly straightforward. It goes like this, stick with me. The giant squid in the Great Lake at Hogwarts is Godric Gryffindor. What? Supporting evidence to include. Future Gryffindor, Dennis Creevy, falls into the Great Lake while he's crossing on his first year before the sorting ceremony. The giant squid, recognizing Dennis's true Gryffindor potential, gently picks him back up and places him back in the boat. Had it been a member of any other house or even a hat stall, the giant squid would of course have taken the child captive into the deep, further contributing to the giant squid's ever massive size. 
That's pretty dark. The real reason the giant squid is just so big is because we're really missing a few Hufflepuff, Slytherins, and Ravenclaws. No, the real joke is, is that the author of the series just basically said this in an offhand comment one time. That the squid during the 11th hour of each evening would re-return itself into Godric Gryffindor where it could roam the grounds of Hogwarts. I will say that there are several scenes that feature students throwing the giant squid pieces of toast, but squids can't eat toast and would in fact kill it. So there is that. So clearly based on toast principle, the only explanation that we can have here is that the squid is in fact a millennium old human. No, but really that is just the thing, as much fun as it would be to consider the idea that one of the original founders of the school was still residing nearby somehow, like looking after it. It's just not even possible, even under Nicholas Flamel terms, for someone to have existed that long. That said, the only other real parallel that we would have on the table is the fact that he had this very close-knit relationship with his fellow founder, Salazar Slytherin, who of course left his own giant beast behind, the Basilisk. So it's fun to think that like somehow Godric had a contribution of his own that could potentially protect the school from the Basilisk, but even if Godric wasn't Animagus, there's just simply no way his form wouldn't be a lion. So peaceful protector of the school and its occupants, Sure, absolutely. Thousand year old founder of the school? I don't think so. Moving on from that though, we're gonna move on to theory number two, which is another one that we've covered here on this channel, and is the idea that the real reason the Dursleys were so mean to Harry is because of the piece of Voldemort's soul existing inside of him. The idea here mirrors the exact thing that we witnessed happen with Harry, Ron, and Hermione while they're wearing Slytherin's locket for weeks and weeks on end while hunting Horcruxes. The locket is definitely having the most impact on Ron, something that Harry hypothesized sizes is due to the fact that Ron is less accustomed to the difficult conditions that they're living under. Basically that he's grown up and spent his entire life with three square meals a day, whether it's from his family or the house elves at Hogwarts. Harry, on the other hand, has of course been the subject of neglect for most of his life, thanks to the Dursleys. I'll be in my bedroom, making no noise and pretending that I don't exist. To write you will. You could say that Ron's situation, at least when it comes to preparedness, is a little bit more similar to the Dursleys' very indulgent suburban lifestyle. And therefore, similar to Ron, they'd be even less prepared for this like lingering sense of doom that seems to emanate from a Horcrux. And while those pieces do fit nicely enough, I think that it's all disproved on literally the very first page of the Philosopher's Stone. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Or as Professor McGonagall all too astutely announces to Dumbledore before Harry's arrival, they're the worst sort of muggles imaginable. And beyond that, we know that Petunia's prejudice towards magical people spawned from a very young age through jealousy, which morphed into hatred and resentment as she watched her own younger sister develop and build magical abilities and then be whisked off to magical school. I was the only one to see her for what she was. Essentially, if she couldn't be a part of it, then she wanted nothing to do with it. So the moral of the story is don't make excuses for the Dursleys. They were terrible long before Harry ever got there. 36, counted them myself. 36, but last year, last year I had 37. They were always going to resent him for being different in any way. And that burden is theirs and theirs alone. But from there, let's move on to our final theory, which suggests that the cursed child is canon. Look at that, a fan theory from the author herself. That's rich. But I'm sorry, I just can't get on board with the fact that time turners don't work like that. Cedric would never be a Death Eater and I just can't see Harry being a mean dad. Him and Draco being more friends was okay. And also, I would die for Scorpius. 
Surprising Wisbies. No, but for real, our actual last theory is going to be Harry is immortal. This one, I will say, is actually pretty darn interesting on the surface. This idea hails back to the prophecy and specifically the sentiment that either must die at the hand of the other. It is a really interesting concept, especially when you consider what Voldemort's overarching goal is and the specific actions of Harry and Voldemort themselves. But what this line seems to be suggesting is that the only ones capable of killing either Harry or Voldemort is the other. And this fits with Voldemort's motives absolutely perfectly. If he can defeat Harry, the only one who can stop him, then he will achieve immortality. <laughs> but, so if you flip the script a little bit, then it would also seem to suggest that if Harry defeats Voldemort, then the only person who is capable of defeating Harry was Voldemort. But we know that Harry does defeat Voldemort, so is the conclusion the same? Is Harry immortal? But I am the chosen one. This theory also usually goes on to suggest the idea that when Harry walks into the Forbidden Forest to accept death from Voldemort, he is also then like using up his death. What that means is that the only person who can kill Harry is Voldemort and Voldemort does kill Harry, meaning the prophecy is fulfilled. So then when he comes back, you see what I mean? Harry goes from the boy who lived to the boy who lives and keeps living. However, I think a massive portion of the entire quest that Harry is on has to do with his own relationship with death. And through that, he becomes the only person to have ever successfully united the Deathly Hallows, making him the master of death. Which in its own way could mean that Harry has become immortal in the same way that everyone before him who attempted to join these three artifacts together would have intended. But the catch is the only thing that made Harry in particular uniquely capable of joining the three Deathly Hallows is the exact same sentiment that allowed him to get the Philosopher's Stone from the Mirror of Erised in his first year. Which incidentally is another object that conceivably could and would provide immortality and Voldemort was also attempting to claim. But what was it that Dumbledore said again? Only a person who wanted to find the stone but not use it would be able to get it. This sentiment is mirrored, ah, didn't even mean to do that one, in Harry's relationship with the three Deathly Hallows themselves. The only person who could truly become master of death is the person who willingly accepts it. And in that way, I believe it means that Harry would never choose immortality. But there you go, guys. That's our top five worst Harry Potter theories of all time. And I'm saying worst than absolute, like gigantic, massive air quotes there, because they're actually all very interesting theories that I think, like I said at the very beginning, help us think critically about the story and what it's trying to tell us. But for my question of the day, are there any other theories you would like to see us disprove? Be sure to let us know in the towel section down below. Guys, we are so excited to invite you into a brand new Super Carlin Brothers digital event. It is a step competition called Miles Managed. From June 1st through July 31st, you will have the opportunity to traverse the UK from the iconic King's Cross station in London to an uncharted castle deep in the heart of Scotland. Miles Managed is completely free to join and made possible thanks to our partner, Pacer. But guys, as always, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you'd like to see our top five most believable Harry Potter theories, you can do so right over here. But otherwise, until next time, bye.